Today's episode is brought to you by Orion Pictures, presenting Bottoms. Rachel Sennett and Iowa Debery star in this refreshingly unique raunchy comedy that Rolling Stone calls the horniest, bloodiest high school movie of the 21st century. And the comedy movie of the summer. Bottoms is about two girls, PJ and Josie, who start a fight club as a way to lose their virginities to cheerleaders. And their bizarre plan works. The club gains traction and soon the most popular girls in school, including the cheerleaders, are beating each other up thinking they've joined a self-defense club. But PJ and Josie find themselves in over their heads and in need of a way out before their plan is exposed. Also starring Nicholas Gallatzine, Marshawn Lynch, and Kaya Gerber. Get your tickets at bottomsmovie.com. Hi, this is David Jenkins and you're listening to The Letterbox Show. I'm here to talk about my four favorite Little White Lies covers, Volvere, Attack the Block, Eden and Licorice Pizza. Welcome to The Letterboxd Show, our podcast about movies and the people who love watching them. I am West Coast editor Mia Libacino, joined by my co-host and our London editor, Ella Kemp. Hello from London and our weird little heatwave. Our guest today on the show is the editor of Little White Lies, David Jenkins. David has worked as a film critic for Time Out London and has written on film for Sight and Sound, The Guardian, Movie and more. He also co-edited a book, What I Love About Movies. David, welcome to the Letterbox Show. Thanks for having me. Thanks, thank you for that lovely intro. Oh, I just wanted to ask first, straight off the bat, David or Davy? Ah, uh, do you know what? Uh, it's, it is David, but like, I, I, I've got my. A lot of people do call me Davy because that's what my Twitter handle is. Exactly. And uh, the only reason it is is because David was already taken. So I, 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 I knee jerk went I'd rather than have David Jenkins and a kind of random number. I thought, oh, I could get a pure Davy Jenkins. So maybe that that makes me sound a bit more like fun loving and and uh, approachable. <laughs> so I, I went for it. Fun loving and approachable is completely what you are, David, as we know. Um, for listeners of the podcast who don't know this, um, David was one of the first people who gave me a chance in the film industry. Um, I would not be on this podcast today if I did not intern at Little White Lies in 2017. Um, at which point David went through one of the first ever published film reviews I had. He printed it out and basically underlined so many things in red pen. I'm saying this as a good thing because it is the single greatest <laughs> feedback I've ever gotten and has stayed with me. I would dispute the fact that you wouldn't be in the film industry today. I think, I think it, you know, it's, <gasps> it's, the, it's the butterfly effect. It you would have got there through a different... A different route, I'm sure. That's very kind. I remember it. It was fun. But I don't remember what the, the film is that you reviewed. But. Oh, I do. It was a film called Base and it was about base jumping, which I still fully don't uh, really know what it is, to be honest. And it was, I was watching it and I remember not realising whether it was um, documentary or fiction. It was fiction. It was fully fiction. And I remember being very confused because I didn't know what base jumping was or what this film was. Um, I think I gave it... Um, three two two or something i mean i think that that that's good that's good to not know that because it means we can have those converse those difficult early conversations about the line between documentary and fiction and how it's blurring and all that kind of stuff so yeah i mean i'm, sh I'm sure we had I, I i went on and on 
in fascinating detail about about all that. Yeah. You're famously an expert in base jumping, so you know. <laughs> Aren't we all? Ella, I'm glad you brought up the three two two score because what is so unique about Little White Lies is how each review comes with a rating between one and five that captures different aspects of the movie going experience, which are anticipation, enjoyment. And in retrospect. So, David, I know that you didn't necessarily come up with these categories, but could you tell us a little bit about them? Yeah, um, they they were kind of invented by the, the the guys who kind of came up with the concept for the magazine. Uh, and it was from from what I understand from the kind of, you know, looking back at the little white lies, you know, law. Uh, it was it was definitely it was something that was came they came up with, you know, in a pub um and thought and and like all good ideas you know and um and yeah i mean it's 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 a kind it was developed as a way to kind of reflect the 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 sort of realities of the of the film going experience and and sort of the ways we can kind of consume art and i think there was you know at that time you know you had you have places like pitchfork where they do like that, that theirs were quite innovative in that they would review albums out of 10, but with, with, in, with sort of decimal point increments as well. And then, you know, a lot of places just had the five stars, which, <clears throat> which maybe there was a feeling that, you know, that, you know, you don't get a lot of information from five stars. It's quite a kind of, you know, it's, it's a very subjective sort of adjudicator of, of, of taste. So yeah, it was, it was, I, th- I think that like, when the magazine, I mean, it all goes back to when the magazine started and tr- and attempts to make it feel like a different thing, you know, in 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 the, in the print magazine landscape, in the certainly in the UK print mag- magazine landscape, uh, you know, not only do we, were we trying to sort of get something new in in using illustration and making it more of a kind of design driven magazine, but we wanted to actually talk about the films in a different way as well. So that's that's kind you know that's kind of where it all came from it that makes it sound a bit gimmicky but actually you know it's something we've stuck with and and you know w- w- you know one of the one of the one of the reasons why I'm on well I maybe the reason why I'm on this podcast is to because we we're, we're about to launch our 100th issue and mm-hmm. with this ma- and with this special issue of the magazine it's actually that the, the magazine is a bit of a shrine to this anticipation enjoyment in retrospect in that we've got like these three we've divided the magazine into these three chapters and are talking about sort of past present and future of the 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 cinema that we that has been released in the time that we have been out that we have been in existence so it's quite a kind of you know using that using that sort of that little kind of fun potentially gimmicky marketing marketing system to have this kind of giant reckoning of of, of, of sort of 20 years plus of art. Yeah. Well, I, I really, really admire your commitment to print magazines and that importance of having something beautiful and tangible to to collect and savor and touch, um, especially as digitization is, you know, taking over the media landscape. And then also just seeing your and your team's hard work in print is just so much more satisfying, right? Oh God. Yeah, I think so. And, and, you know, I think it's, it's the, the amount of scrutiny that that goes into every single word More, like probably you know I, I i imagine that i imagine that a lot of kind of digital sites now uh, do are starting to have the sort of same in- infrastructure as sort of print magazines did back in the day but but still like there's so much actually to do with like you know you like the you know the layout and the and and you know we i, I spend so much time doing things like tracking and kerning and making sure there's not like one word on a line and and making making the the columns look beautiful and you know it's it's sort of like tr- 
des- we're actually sort of designing the the words as well as as well as actually writing them. So, you know, the, 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 I don't think people are necessarily doing that on on websites yet because it is more of a kind of interactive experience and it change and, and the, the look of the look of the screen changes everywhere you, you, you look at it. Um, and I think the other, the other thing about magazines that, that I, that I love and I don't think has maybe been, um, replicated by the digital experience is the, is the idea of juxtaposition and that, you know, you, 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 you actually kind of, it's not just about putting a, a review of a film in a magazine, but it's putting a review of a film in magazine in a magazine next to something else in the context of something else, where you can kind of look and see. Okay, I've got like a a Marvel movie I'm talking about here, and then I've got like this tiny Iranian art house film that is being given the exact amount of space and is is you know is being is being looked at and. Uh, picked apart with the same amount of love and attention as, as the, as the Marvel movie. So it's like, you know, the, 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 the print experience is a bit more of a kind of leveler than, than, uh, than, than maybe digital, which has more of a hierarchy. Sorry, I'm getting very technical here and boring, but you no, know, no, no, no. I, this is we my life. Love it. <laughs> this is your life. And <laughs> from the moment that I started writing for Little White Lies, I do actually think that me writing for Little White Lies and joining Letterboxd honestly happened around the same time. I think I started interning at Little White Lies and then was like, oh, what's Letterboxd? That sounds like it could be useful. Um, and something that I've always kind of loved to see over the years is like, David, I know that you use Letterboxd. Well, one of the many reasons that you use Letterboxd, I know you commissioned some writers like based on that. You know, I've heard stories of people whose writing you've seen on the platform, which, um, you know, which might be a different era and different thing. Oh, my God. I mean, absolutely correct. Like it's it's an it's an amazing tool. It's it's really, really helpful. Like it's, it's a way that I can instantaneously see. Like I mean, you know, from the people I follow, it's a way that I can instantaneously see who, who has seen a film. Hopefully everybody is is good and up to date in their in their uh, list in, in their in their um, logging of their, the films that they've seen. But it's just so handy to know who's seen stuff. I mean, you know, I, I can I can go on there. Someone, some you know, a PR might be in touch saying, "Oh, you've got to come and see this amazing new film and do loads of extra supplemental editorial about it." And then I could go onto Letterbox and see like a whole kind of row of like one and one and a half star reviews and be like, <laughs> "Yeah, maybe maybe I'm going to give that one a wide berth." So it, it, it's it's I use it in many many ways, but it's 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 it is like. You know, it is a it is a kind of first port of call for so much of my editorial decision making. It's uh, uh, you know, you should charge me for that, really. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, the number of like emails that I get from you asking me to cover something, and I'm like, there's no way that he knows that I've seen this, and I'm like, oh, this platform that we all use all the time, where I have just noted this film. Um, but enough about Letterbox for a minute. We need to know a little bit more about issue 100, which is coming out. Two days after this podcast can first be listened to by everyone on September 14th. Um, what can you tell us about the issue while still leaving enough surprise for everyone to go and buy it immediately? Well, um, I can I can say that it's a it's a it's a real kind of labor of love issue. It's take it it's taken like a long time to kind of get it together. We've we've got loads and loads of of of, of new interviews with directors. We, we, we spent a long time, like, I mean, one, one of the, one of the hardest things to do, uh, in the kind of magazine world, or, or for me, certainly one of the hardest is trying to get an interview with a filmmaker when they're not on the press trail. So like when they're not out there actively doing promo for something, 
and um and we've we've basically bit tried to do that for this issue where we've kind of reconnected with a lot of filmmakers that we'd spoken to in the past and and um and and we, and and talk to them about um their kind of i guess they're sort of like i mean it's a mixture of like what what we've asked them is their like about their first encounters with a camera and to and 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 the first thing that they sort of looked at through the through the viewfinder and that's kind of that and and that's kind of evolved into this um this sort of patchwork of stories that that covers all all a range of different things and and that that's almost like the sort of um the starting point for these 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 kind of wild meandering um conversations we've had with people but they're kind of presented as like monologue like stories so like yeah we've just got lots of amazing people in there loads of loads of like uh, i love the illustration we've got a really special like we we the, you know maybe maybe we'll have, we'll have announced this by the time this comes out but we've got like four covers it's like four alternative covers mm. that they actually interlock to form a a, a single artwork so it's like you you you, oh you, you, you you kind of get the you get the four corners i mean we we don't you know it's not a cynical ploy to get people to buy four issues but it's like you know it is it is a kind of sense that this cover is too big for for one for one issue so we're excited we're excited for it to come out and see how i mean it's excited excited and nervous yes yes and hey hey speaking of four you've got four faves for us don't you david so indeed indeed so these four faves they aren't the four faves on your letterbox profile which are magnificent obsession yaba tranke lauken and hook Excellent picks, but instead <laughs> you've chosen four of your favorite covers of Little White Lies. So let's begin with Volver, 2004, Pedro Almodovar, 4.0 average on Letterboxd. And it's kind of, it's kind of a hard one to sum up, <laughs> but I'm going to try my best. Here we go. Raimunda lives and works in Madrid with her husband Paco and their daughter Paula. Raimunda and her sister miss their mother Irene, who died several years ago in a house fire along with their father. After a murder and a family tragedy, Irene's spirit materializes around her daughters to comfort them. So that's like the gist of it, but there's there's a lot more packed that's t- in there. Tip of the iceberg. Tip of the iceberg. Yeah, yeah. exactly, exactly. So, uh, tell us a little bit about why you chose Volver, David. Well, I, t- I talk a little bit first about what, like, what, why I, why I, why I think it's important to me in terms of like the magazine, because I think this was actually the. So I, I, I was involved with Little White Lies from issue one, but but as a kind of I, I, in issue one, I was a kind of kid contributor. Um, and 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 wrote some reviews, which I'm very 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 scared to read again. Um, <laughs> and by, but by the time of, of 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 issue seven, which of which this this was the the cover, I I had kind of exerted my influence and hung around long enough uh, to 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 sort of have have a little bit of sway in terms of like choosing cover films. And I and I really pushed for this because I I was like a fan of Pedro Almodovar. I'd loved, um, I'd loved talk, um, talk to her and uh, all about my mother. They were kind of some of the, uh, you know, earliest foreign language films I remember seeing. They were the, some of the first times that I'd, I'd really started to interact with like the importance of the Cannes Film Festival in kind of launching these films as well. So, 
you know, it was a really big, th- and, and, and I'd seen that, that so, so Volver had been in Cannes and it had d- gone down really well. And I was, uh, it was just a film that I was really excited to see. And I sort of pushed and said, we should do this as a cover. It's got Penelope Cruz in it. She's, she would be a really perfect star to be on the cover. And yeah, they totally relented. And, and I think sort of, you know, almost sort of gave me a little bit of a sort of early taste of what it'd be like to to be an editor and come up with come up with like concepts for features and I, I didn't really have much to do, to do with the artwork and the layout but yeah I mean I remember one of the things I did is I was in contact with with his production company El Deseo um in Madrid and and I, I was like oh do you have do you have any we want to do a sort of like feature where we run all your kind of classic film posters because they're, they're all I mean, you know, have a look, have a look on, on Letterboxd and uh, his, uh, his posters. I'm sure there's many amazing variations, but the originals are incredible. And uh, they're, they're all the, in, in kind of like, they're all, they're very kind of like punky. And um, we did, and, and yeah, was, I, I was like suddenly talking to, to Pedro Almodovar's like assistants and getting all this stuff sent over the film. I just, I just love it. I just, it's just, it's just, uh, uh, it's a very, I think one of the things I love about it is that it's a very, I mean, when you, to, to, you know, to when you kind of give the, gave the intro just then, it makes it sound like a very dark, dismal film about mm-hmm. ghosts and, and murder and, and loss and, and, and these kind of women who are sort of trying to sort of strike it out on their own. And these, and the sort of the, you know, it is really about the kind of men being really quite awful in all aspects of, of, of life and community. And, um, and, and, but actually it's, you know, in, in his, in his kind of style, it's done with such levity and humor and grace and, and, and it's, and, and, and there are moments where it's so it's moving as well. And, you know, he's not, he's not someone who, I mean, it's interesting having, having like a Douglas Sirk on, on my actual four favorites, because I mean, he's, he's obviously a massive influence on Almodovar in, in the, you know, that there, the, he, he's sort of borrowing on this tradition of melodrama in that, you know, you can, you know, you, it's not a realist film. It's not like, you, you know, you're not watching this film and it's, it's not like Ken, a Ken Loach film where you feel that you're kind of like seeing this gritty realist drama, but it's like, it's this heightened romanticized version of these, of these characters and these settings. And, you know, he just makes everything look and sound so beautiful. Uh, and yeah, I mean, it was, so also, I think my my experience of Penelope Cruz at that point, I, I just remember feeling really kind of wowed by the fact that she had had this Hollywood career. Like she sort of tra- like she'd been in all these Spanish films and she sort of transitioned over to Hollywood, and that she was just able to come back and do this art house movie with Pedro Almodovar, and it would be like she it would be like one of the best performances she ever she ever given. So, yeah, that was that was a thrill. Yeah, I mean her performance, she became the first Spanish actress to be nominated for Best Actress at the Oscars. And then I love how um, at Cannes, she shared Best Actress with all the other actresses in the film. Um, I don't know like how unprecedented <laughs> that is, but I think I think it's neat when women get uh, awards. <laughs> and deserve it. I think like, I mean, it's a, I mean, although she, yeah. she is the main character, is a real ensemble piece. I think also I find it fascinating. I hadn't seen the film before and... First of all, yeah, like you say, David, the premise and even when, you know, it's not a spoiler, when the first murder happens, I was like, oh, okay, we're going to go into this. And then and then you kind of don't. And then you kind of go around it and above it and underneath it and and then back in time and forward. And it's so, it's really weird, but I kind of love that 
on Letterboxd, um, everyone's cool with that. Like over almost 2,000 people have it in their four favourites. Um, it's With the 4.0 average, it's still only the third highest rated Almodovar film um, and the only fifth or sixth most popular film. Like that's that's crazy. It's so popular already. It's just, this is such a beloved filmmaker um, and also all three of Penelope Cruz's highest rated films are directed by Almodovar. So like, I just is one of the most, you know, you, there's all of these pairings where you're just like, you two must keep working together forever. And this is just an absolute blueprint for that, I think. Yeah. Well, I think Parallel Mothers was 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 brilliant as well, and and I think that they're very much sort of working off each other. Mm. Yeah, I love Almodovar's women and the way that he explores women, and I love particularly in Volver um, how he explores the life patterns that reverberate throughout these generations of women. It's so beautiful and tragic, and it shows how cycles can be broken, which is proven through Raimunda's daughter Paula. Um, I had seen this film before, and I I really enjoyed it, but it kind of you know, as as we discussed, it's it's a very weird one. So I was like thinking about it for a while, and then on on rewatch, it really connected for me. It's so interesting, and you can never predict what's going to happen. It's both meandering and tightly structured. I, I really admire that. Absolutely. I mean, he he's a master of these kind of twisty plots. But I mean, I you know he he loves like Ruth Rendell and and all these kind of like you know crime writers and the, and 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 that's that kind of that kind of stuff all comes comes through in his in his writing in his films especially you know yeah, especially right. the kind of melodramas yeah. is this your favorite almodovar although it's been a while since i've seen it i think talk to her was probably is probably the one that i that i that i love the most uh, just because i think when i saw it it had it had a really quite sort of seismic impact on me in terms of like you know Hitting, hitting nerves that hadn't really been been hit before, um, but but this this is certainly up there, and 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 actually, parallel mothers probably mm-hmm. is 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 one of, one of one of the best as well. But he's on a real roll at the moment. His last kind of I loved Julieta, I loved um, uh, the one. Oh gosh, what was it? The one with Antonio Banderas, um, Pain and Glory, Pain and Glory, Pain and Glory. Yeah, this. This, the last sort of four or five have been just absolute knockouts. So he, you know, he, he is just on one of the best run ever. And his new little short, Strange Way of Life, brilliant. I mean, I can't cut, stop saying brilliant, but I'll try. But <laughs> when it comes to Almodovar, you, you can't really. But yeah, it's, uh, yeah, he, he, he's, he's just on a major, major role at the moment. I mean, I think one of my favorite things about Volver and one of the last points that I have is, you know, it is a story about one woman who really wanted revenge, even though it's like a melodrama. And this is a very different type of revenge movie. Um, And we know that it's not a conventional revenge movie because in another one of your four favorites, there is a woman who maybe initially wanted revenge, but then realized that there were much bigger things at play. I am describing, in a very, very convoluted way, the almost plot of Attack the Block. Woo! Ah, okay. I was, okay. I was wondering, what, I was wondering where you were, were, were getting, to, getting at this. I was looking at my notes going, hmm. I mean, look, she didn't do it. Jodie Whittaker <laughs> has got more things to deal with, but, the you know, the first few seconds of Attack the Block, it could have gone that way, but it didn't. But anyway, Attack the Block... Uh, is a 2011 film directed by Joe Cornish. It has a 3.6 average on Letterboxd and it has just over 400 fans who have it in their four favourites. In terms of a quick synopsis, uh, what have we got here? So, 
A teen gang in a grim South London housing estate must team up with the other residents to protect their neighbourhood from a terrifying alien invasion. This is I've David I'm so excited that you picked this one in particular of all of your four favorites I could not wait for this rewatch it's uh weirdly I I rewatched it a couple of days ago for this and um it's a few days after Charlotte Regan's film Scrapper came out very very different films but um it was interesting to think about them in terms of like you know, when people talk about wanting to see working class stories on screen and then it's like, oh, look at Ken Loach. And then, you know, on one, one end of the spectrum, you've got something very colourful and very lively and very sweet about grief, which is Scrapper. And then on the other end of the spectrum, you've got like one of the craziest debut features I've ever, I've ever seen in Attack the Block. It's, uh, yeah, I didn't see it until like 2020 for the first time. Um, do you remember when you first saw it, David? Well, actually, I the first time I saw it, um, was when, was when it came out, which was, I believe, like, oh God, on the spot here, 2010, maybe? Or no, 20, 20, 2011. 2009? 2011, okay. Um, and I, I, I remember really liking it. And I, and I, I interviewed Joe for Time Out and he was, he was sort of very, I think he was, you know, I think it was his first film. He put so, a lot into it and, you know, it's, it's, it's a bold debut. It's not necessarily like, I don't think it, maybe has all the sort of conventional hooks that you would expect f- f- of a kind of a film that's going to be a kind of, you know, knockout blockbuster hit without question. So I think there was a bit of nerv- nervousness on that front of how he was going to sort of se- be selling the film. Um, and yeah, do you know what? I, I you know, I, I actually, one of the reasons I, so I'm going to, I'm going to admit I couldn't actually remember much about the film, but one of the reasons I picked it is because I really wanted to watch it again. So this was that, <laughs> this was my excuse to, yes. to to give it to rewatch it, and you know what? It's paid off massively because I, it, it, it's actually so much better than I remembered it being. Yeah, um, and 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 it, it, it has it has aged so well, and like you know, talking about that revenge plot, the the bit where Moses says to to to, to Jodie Whittaker. Oh, if I'd have known you from the block, I wouldn't have stepped to you. Like it, it's just uh, like brought a tear yeah, to my eye. It's amazing. Brought a, an incredible moment. Also, I mean, it's crazy that this is Joe Cornish's debut feature, but it's also John Boyega's first film role. Like he, this was shot when he was eighteen, and I think yeah, rewatching it as well. You obviously know that he's young in it, but I was so surprised. He's so he's so assured. He's so dynamic and just fully you know leads it like you're never in doubt that he can handle this absolutely i mean he it's 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 an it's an imposing performance for 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 a debut and i mean he he is up you know even though it is an ensemble and there's lots of other characters in their little gang um and they're and they're sort of like working together to try and um to tr- to try and foil this 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 invasion of of glowing tooth gorilla alien type things, he is the dominant character. I mean, he 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 really just sort of like, you know, the the charisma he exudes is just off the chart, and he and and, and the, the 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 camera loves him as well. He 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 does that and smiling thing just you know just so just he's so good at it from that from that early age, and he just he just. He knows the job. He knows the job at hand, and he absolutely smashes it. I think since watching the film, I I I probably got got into sort of John Carpenter more, and uh, you know have become a massive John Carpenter fan, especially that the idea of him making these very kind of l- like lean mean genre films 
where you don't necessarily have much expectation and you kind of, within the first couple of minutes, you're dropped into a situation and you kind of, you, you learn, you kind of, you meet the characters and you're endeared to the characters or, or, or repelled by, to the, but to the characters at, while they're doing stuff, while they're fighting mm. aliens or, or, you know, do, do it, you know, do, it, they're, they're in this kind of like fraught situation and, um, th- you know, you don't have a big long intro, then there's a drop 30 minutes in and then you have all your action. It's like, those films are like, it's, it's action and drama simultaneously all the way through. And that's kind of what, 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 what Joe does with, with this film. Uh, sorry, we call him Joe because he's part of this <laughs> a comedy duo, Adam and Joe. So I'll always know him as Joe uh, in the UK. So that's, you know, that's for, for, for you, I guess, sort of non, non-UK listeners. But yeah, um, yeah, I mean, the, the creature design. It's amazing the the, well, the 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 politics of the film. It, it it just it covers it covers so much ground. David, do you know um, what Joe kind of took inspiration from for the creature design? God, you know what? He must have told me this when I interviewed him, but I can't remember. <laughs> <laughs> well, Go apparently, on. he only revealed this year that the creature designs were partly based on his pet cat, who quote unquote engulfs darkness. Ah, <laughs> so. that that. That figures, yeah. No, it's you know, like the, I, I I love the I love the bits where there's a bit in the beginning where you're kind of introduced to this to the to the design where they 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 are these sort of ramp. I mean, they're they're described as like rampaging werewolf gorilla type things, um, and and they've got these blue glowing almost sort of glass like like almost sort of shark. You know, like sharks have like many layers of teeth. Well, they've got those. Yeah, it's horrifying. It is horrifying, and 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 I think the scene where like where it kind of suddenly you know it's a very intimate film, and you don't necessarily see much like you you only seeing these very kind of intimate sections of this of this tower block, like the lift shaft and the 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 the, the corridors and the flats, and then suddenly there's this one shot that's just completely out of out of sync with the rest of the film, but it's all the more shocking for it, where you suddenly look up and there's like. 50 of these things climbing up the side of the building. It's the real kind of like midpoint money shot where it's like, whoa, that's that's genuinely terrifying. But yeah, as I say, you also have all this kind of, I I, I think I love that the, 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 the sort of, the, the the idea of this block as the microcosm and 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 also this, the, the, this idea that it shows these kind of, you know, these youths who, who I think, you know, in, certainly at, at the time, the British press would were vilifying what they would refer to as like hoodies, and um, mm. and and this was a kind of re- this film was a kind of response to that in that it shows them doing some pretty awful stuff in at the beginning of the film. I mean, like um, Moses and his crew. Ascent, oh, the film opens on Moses and his crew mugging Jodie Whittaker's Sam in a really quite horrifying and scary situation, particularly as this as it re- as it's revealed they're so young, and then the film kind of very slowly but surely kind of shows us a different side to them as well and shows us the shows us the context of their actions and the, the, the these elements of social deprivation it's no by no means kind of trying trying to get us to feel sorry for them or anything but it's sort of saying there you know the, the the reasons why people take these actions are bigger than we can maybe and you know we we shouldn't just vilify people on the basis of these things because it's probably a bigger 
a bigger, wider context for them. Yeah, I loved how this story both literally and figuratively had teeth. Um, as in <laughs> like the, the <laughs> there's the scene where one of the characters is talking about or he's speculating about um, how maybe uh, the government has put the aliens there on purpose to drive out these people from the block because historically, you know, the government has thrown in um, drugs and weapons and, you know, turn them against each other. Um, but they're, they're also commenting in a way that isn't like super heavy handed and preachy and kind of mm. takes you out of it. It's a really, really great balance of both acknowledging the allegory, but also being a fun 90 minute monster movie. Um, I think that's really, really hard to do. I mean, there's one word that kind of summarizes everything that you're saying, Mia. Um, just one, um, quick take from Letterboxd that I pulled out, uh, where, uh, Letterboxd user Pat Macri13 uh, in a 4.5 star review <laughs> just pointed out that f um, fam is said more times in this film than the word fuck is used in Goodfellas. No. Which is probably true. <laughs> probably. That must, that must, who's gonna must count? be funny. Either way, um, there is one final... I could go on forever about the incredible UK representation for global cinema fans in this film, um, but I just want to give a quick shout-out to um, the DJ duo Basement Jacks, who are responsible for much of the music in Attack the Block. Uh, and it's the kind of thing, you you got a deadline? Listen to Basement Jacks. you got to go out somewhere fun? Listen to Basement Jacks. You want to feel okay any time of day? Listen to Basement Jacks. Um, but... There is one other DJ duo, I think that's what they're officially called, right? Um, who has a similar effect to Basement Jacks, I think. And that is Daft Punk. Mia, tell us why we got to talk uh, about Daft Punk. It is, oh, we absolutely have to talk about Daft Punk out of nowhere, too. So the next pick is Eden 2014, directed by Mia Hansen Love, my beloved. Uh, it's got a 3.5 average. I feel like we can bump those numbers up a little bit and it's got 65 fans who have this in their four faves let's also bump those numbers up a little bit that's low i know i agree so the the synopsis is paul a teenager in the underground scene of early 90s paris forms a dj collective with his friends and together they plunge into the nightlife of sex drugs and endless music who hasn't? Who hasn't formed a DJ collective with your friends in Paris and plunged into sex, drugs, and endless music? Something we need to point out about David Jenkins at this point um, is, David, when your list of four favorites got sent across, um, this was the one film on there that I was like, of course. It's not a list of movies or filmmakers that David Jenkins loves without there being a Mia Hansen love film. That is a very important thing about your personality. You're a Mia Hansen love warrior? Absolutely, in a in a massive in a massive way. I I I I was there on the ground floor with uh, with uh, all is forgiven, um, which which no, I don't think it even came out in the UK, and uh, and and then yeah, I think her next one, uh, Father of My Children, was in was in like uncertain regard in Cannes, and I was like, I was I was telling I wasn't I didn't go to Cannes because I think it was like twenty ten or something, and I was basically telling everyone I knew, make sure you see Father of My Children. And, uh, and and that was kind of I, I wouldn't say it was where she kind of was launched and exploded but like it was uh, it was uh, it was you know her, she was became a bit more of a household name and yeah I, I've, I've just sort of like been been following following her her, her ever since and uh, her style her, her, her kind of her the way she writes and the way she her films are edited um in this in in this quite kind of 
like breezy style is is I, I, I just, it, they just they just kind of give give me something the way that she deals with time and 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 these these kind of grand arcs and has has big events that happen in the middle of the film rather than the end of the film or at the beginning of the film she 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 does these she's always been very innovative with structure i was a big fan of and i know and i know this is a film that people love and hate is but I was a big fan of, I am a big fan of, of the film Tree of Life by um, Terrence Malick. Me too. Which, Me is, too. which is obviously a grand film about the kind of existence of the universe. And it kind of covers all these, it covers all the, you know, these I, grand philosophical ideas. And, and in many ways, I remember seeing, seeing Eden and thinking, oh, this, this feels like Mia Hansen loves Tree of Life. Uh, although, albeit filtered through the kind of French garage music scene. Um, and and told and told from the perspective of her brother, who is who is the kind of inspiration for for, for the for the character of Paul. And I know that's quite a sort of grand proclamation. And maybe you know we don't have dinosaurs or exploding stars in this film, but but there's something kind of richly, deeply philosophical about this this idea of a kind of of a, of a journey and a character who is kind of dedicating his life to something and having this kind of you know this not i don't think i think existential crisis is maybe put maybe over egging the drama of what happens but just having this kind of this this sort of slow burn realization that 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 you know your your our lives you know the things that we choose to 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 love in our lives and the passions that we choose to follow aren't aren't necessarily the things things that will allow us to 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 live and exist and 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 um and it's it's quite a, you know it's quite a sad and you know maybe maybe some might read it as quite a negative thing to 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 a message to be giving giving people and to be giving to be giving a viewer saying you know hey you know you may have heard that you should just follow your passions at all costs and you're going to succeed well actually maybe that's not going to not going to work out for you but then the, what the film does is it kind of it kind of comes around and it says but that you know who's to say what you know why should we have just one passion in our lives why why not have many passions why not why not why not spread ourselves out and 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 try and and try and kind of connect with the the sort of multiplicity and 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 multi-ranging joys of of existence and art and culture and and family and 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 friendship and all that kind of stuff and uh and the film i i, I mean it's a film that i think that I, I, I remember watching it when it was screened at the London Film Festival and thinking it's, it, you know, for the first kind of hour, hour and a half, it's quite, a, I think it's sort of a lot, quite a long film, maybe like two, over two hours. And, and I remember thinking, oh, it's quite, you know, it's, it's quite a nice, uh, a fun uh, depiction of a scene. And you've got lots of, there's lots of obviously kind of good insider knowledge about what happened, where it happened. There's an amazing scene where they're at a party and, um, and uh, the, the the two like young kids who would become Daft Punk just go behind the decks and start playing sort of the songs we all we all know, and everyone's kind of looking around, going, "Yeah, this is pretty good." Um, uh, you, you know, you 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 you, you, the, you have Daft Punk, and you have the you have Paul's DJ duo, which are called Cheers, who 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 you know, which in itself is quite a kind of like you know, you kind of know that nothing's going to, going to really happen <laughs> with, with cheers to be honest, but like <laughs> the, 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 the final 30, the final kind of half an hour where this big kind of change happens and this, this, you know, Paul has to kind of 
reached the sort of the pit the pits of despair to then have this 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 moment of realization and salvation and and start his life anew and i think that that last half an hour when that's all happening it's, it can be a bit i think it's a bit heavy going because you're like you're thinking why have we just watched this film about about the sort of birth of of, of the sort of, of the french garage music scene and then it's kind of going off segueing off this different different story but it's yeah i just the the the, the him, he becomes a poet and it's just it's just hot. Yeah. It's just amazing. It's just, I just was was over the moon. <laughs> oh, I'm I'm really glad that you selected this one because it had been my watch list for a while because I'm also a fan of Mia Hansen Love. But I am also a scholar of like early 2000s alt rock type music. And mm. I'm a big fan of Meet Me in the Bathroom, that book. Um, and they talk about Daft Punk a lot in it. And there's this song, Losing My Edge by LCD Sound System. Are you familiar with that mm-hmm. song? Okay, yes, where he's saying, like, I'm losing my edge to the kids from France. I was the first guy playing Daft Punk to the rock kids. Everybody <laughs> thought I was crazy. And so this movie really got me back in <laughs> to that era. I listened to Instant Crush by Daft Punk on repeat for, like, 48 hours after I watched this movie. <laughs> it rewired my brain. Um, so I just have to thank you for that. I also think it's really cool how Daft Punk licensed their music for the lowest possible fee uh, yeah. to Mia Hansen Love. The other thing with, you know, this bringing uh, sort of the birth of Daft Punk back into our minds, it made me think, I really want Greta Gerwig, who pops up in this film and who is yes. there and is like, has a major role. I want her to make the biopic. Like, you know, <laughs> we know that she can handle... <laughs> the, the titans of pop culture in every way. She can do it. So let her do this one. Yeah, the surprise Greta Gerwig, we didn't even get to that. Yeah, she showed up and I jokingly was like, okay, Greta Gerwig. And then, because I thought she was like a French actress who just looked like her. And then my friend who I was watching it with was like, no, I think that's her. And I was yeah. like, yeah, that'd be funny. <laughs> and then she starts talking and it's like, oh, yeah, that is actually Greta Gerwig. Well, maybe Greta Gerwig stole the plot of Barbie from, from uh, Things to Come. Mia Hansen loves things oh, to come. Who knows? Yes. I mean, it's. I mean, Barbie is very is a very Mia Hansen love esque film. So I, I guess that they <gasps> they are pals. Imagine if Mia Hansen love made Barbie. <laughs> Let me tell you just one other thing that I love about this film. I remember thinking, like, one of the things I, I remember see, originally seeing it, and one of the criticisms that was leveled at it, and I think it was it was leveled at it as a as a kind of technical criticism. It says, well, it's a film that is covering all this, this, this period of time, but none of the characters seem to age. Like, you know, they're not, they're not, they're not using, you know, she's not using like what prosthetics or, you know, not, not doing things to make them look older. And, um, and, and, and when I read that and thought, well, that's, that's, I, you know, that's it, isn't it? It's a, it is the film about perpetual youth and, and, and not being able to, 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 to disconnect from, from youth. And, and that, and the, the whole idea of, of, of Paul never aging across this time span just feels so sort of thematically relevant and, and so in keeping with what the film is about that actually I think your criticism is actually one of the film's, one of the things that makes the film great and even more rich. Well, similarly to that, there's another criticism going around about how it's, quote, too long. Um, and there's, But there's a Letterboxd review that defends the runtime, which I like. Um, and Evan, Letterboxd member Evan says, can't believe some people on here said this was too long, when obviously it should have been longer. Exactly. <laughs> but speaking of long runtimes and purple cover images... 
Licorice Pizza is your final pick. Ella, do you want to take it away? (laughs) I would love to, Mia. So we are talking about Licorice Pizza, the 2021 film directed by Paul Thomas Anderson. It currently has a 3.6 average on Letterboxd and it has over 2,000 fans. The synopsis reads... Set in the San Fernando Valley in the 1970s, the film follows a high school student who is also a successful child actor. <laughs> I think the synopsis is so funny. Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of like, I mean, it's not like the one for Volver, but it is because it's like, that's just, again, it's the tip of the iceberg. So yeah. many strange vignettes and, and I don't know, all sorts happens in this film. Um, David, another, another banger here. It's, you could have picked so many different PTA films and also correct me if I'm wrong there have been like multiple PTA films on Lois covers right why did you pick this one yeah yeah we, we we could have had the master or inherent vice I think I was yeah I think actually the reason I picked this one was because actually it's one of my favorite act like I love the film but actually it's also one of my favorite all-time issues the make making the issue was like so much fun we 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 made the issue as a kind of like in the mindset of being in the in the in in um, seventy three, is it seventy three or seventy six? Where it, where where it, the year it takes place? I think it's seventy three. But like it's it's it, we're, we're kind of the magazine is written from that perspective where where all the writers are taking like a, you know pseudonym bylines and are writing <laughs> as as if they're writing from the time. So and we, and all the all the illustrations are kind of fake ads for mo- movies we made up and and things like that. So. It's, it was just really, really, it was difficult, but really fun to do. And I, I, I love the cover as well. But I, yeah, the film, I just think is, is, is a joy. And I think, I, I mean, I love The Master. I love Inherent Vice. I think if it comes to films, PTA films, that I'm like, I, I would want to watch again and I over and over and over. I'm probably going to be come back to Licorice Pizza before I come to those ones. That, that they, they have got that kind of, I mean, you know, the... the the, the, those those are great movies, but like you know, the, the, you don't necessarily need to see them over and over again to know they're great. Whereas this one, I think there is a sort of there is a joy to just hanging out in this world in the same way that you know, um, Fast Times in Ridgemont High and Days to Confuse and or you know, um, American Graffiti, or, all, all these kind of films that are just sort of like you know, quote unquote, hangout movies where you're kind of there's not really a plot. You're just sort of going through a period of time with some characters and experiencing things with them and the sort of random happenstances and the the, the crazy situations they find themselves and boy do they find themselves in many crazy <laughs> situations. <laughs> the truck. The truck. The truck scene Ugh. is one of my favorites. It really makes me laugh. Alana Haim is so funny and so magnetic in this role. It's just so impressive. I mean, both her and Cooper Hoffman. It's just incredibly impressive that PTA was able to wrangle these performances out of these, mm-hmm. you know, these newbies, essentially. David, were you a Haim fan going into this? Are you a Haim fan now? I'm not a, ma- I have to say from what I've heard, I'm not the biggest, their, their music is not massively to my, to my taste. That's okay. But I, I think, I, I think that Alana Haim is an incredible performer and I hope, I, I hope she does more films. Um, uh, she, 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 as no, I, I concur that she, she, she's completely magnetic in, in that, in that role. And as, as a, as a pair, they, they are this sort of romantic, dramatic engine for all these scenes and sequences. And, you know, I think, I think I remember thinking about it. It's like a, this, this, this film where you have this couple and they're, they're, they're sort of in love with each other, but never at the same time. 
So when one's in love with the other, the other one's doing something else. And then when the other one is in love with the other, that one's doing something else. So like, you're just sort of seeing this kind of, like you're, you're, you're seeing this period of time where this, you see these sort of variations on this pattern of, of them not quite being in that, in that, at that level of, of, of romantic relationship. But yeah, I mean, the, the thing that I think also I love about it is the world building. And the thing that inspired our issue is the, is the, is the, care and attention that's gone into all this kind of i mean licorice pizza the name is is actually a, a reference to a kind of chain of record stores from the 70s and you know all this kind of weird esoterica you, you know i think it's it's quite famous that that paul, paul thomas anderson goes on these kind of really extended research jags before he goes and makes his movies and really like Im completely immerses himself in in the world and you know develops all these kind of ideas and you know elements that he wants to bring together in the screenplay and you know it's just i think there's just so much it's so like the the world the, that you, you you get to hang out with is so i mean it's i think i i, I even think it kind of beats something like tarantino's once upon a time in hollywood at its own game in that mm. i mean what i think what you have in that film is this kind of fantasy version this idealized fantasy version of of of, of la and Hollywood, which, which I think is kind of part of what the film is about. But, but here it's like that, you know, you're not just seeing like, Oh, here's all the albums that PTA loves. Here's all the shops that PTA loves. Here's, I mean, he, it's, it's loads of just funny, goofy stuff that he just thinks is cool, you know? And, uh, and, 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 and I think it's so much better for it. I feel like there's one quick take on Letterbox that uh, kind of summed up how it felt to rewatch the film as well. Cause yeah, it's that kind of joy that I don't know about you, but I forgot about it since seeing it for the first, I, I watched it twice when it first came out in that week. And cause it was very exciting and I haven't watched it since. And then, you know, I'll admit I had to rewatch things for work. You're always a bit like, fine. We don't know how this rewatch is going to go. And it was just so joyful. And my favorite uh, review that I found was by uh, Will Menneker, who gave the film four stars I mean, well, he writes one sentence, which I'm going to say in a minute. But then the second one, he says, the kind of movie that makes you want to stand up and cheer. And I just completely agree. It's just so nice. And you just, you feel it in your entire body, just like how fun it is and how lovely it is. That's how I felt watching Bradley Cooper. This was the movie yeah. that really made me finally understand <laughs> Bradley Cooper. Not A Star Is Born. It was this one for some reason. Oh, yeah. Not, yeah. No hate on Star Is Born. That's not what I'm trying to say. But this is the <laughs> one that he really locked he locked it down for me. I would, I would say, I would go further and say it's not a film that makes that I would want to want, want to make me want to stand up and cheer. It's a make, it's a film that makes me want to stand up and run because mm. there's so much running in this film. Yes. Oh, and the ending is obviously predicated on them running around trying to find mm -hmm. each other. I love that, uh, like PTA was asked about the running so many times when he was promoting Licorice Pizza, and I think. I don't know if it took him like a while to end up saying this answer, but he was just like, I think it's cool. I like the way it looks. <laughs> I just love that. Um, I do want to uh, give a little side note, kind of about licorice pizza, kind of not um, specifically about um, if anybody listening enjoys Jewish girls running like Alana Haim in this film, um, there is a really neat scene in a new film on Netflix, which is called You Are So Not Invited to My Bat Mitzvah, in which there is a teenage girl, um, who is Jewish, who runs. And the way you can tell is that when she arrives at her destination, she is like dripping in sweat. And that's not the joke or anything. That's just 
true. And that was, um, I thought that was neat because, um, as yeah, because licorice pizza is very Jewish in many ways, but that wasn't something that um, I fully noticed. I, I hope that you're going to do a, a letterbox list of Jewish running, female running <laughs> movies. <laughs> Oh, David, of course, you know, Make you just know I will. Yes. Because, you know, lots of people are talking about the Jewish girls in the reviews. So the final quick take I want to mention is from um, Josh Lewis gave the film five stars and wrote a beautiful long review. But uh, the one bit I want to single out is when he calls Licorice Pizza a movie that will make you believe that any young man armed with the right moves and mindset can go out into the world and secure himself a Jewish girlfriend. Boom. <laughs> Before you go off and continue your amazing job of watching movies and writing about movies and editing magazines about movies, is there any last thing that you would like to plug? Oh, gosh. Do you know what? I'm just going to re-plug our 100th issue. Woo! Coming out Im- imminently and hopefully, hopefully it will, you know what? I just, I, I really hope that it's lots of people's first issue because it, it's written, it, it's, we've, cr- we've made it in a way that, you know, if you're discovering Little White Lies for the first time, if you if it's the first time you've picked up a decided that you want to pick up a print magazine in Yonks, um, that that this isn't just some kind of insider backslapping fest. It's that it's it's all it's all for the reader. It's 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 for new newbies and 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 old guard alike. So, yeah, we it, you know we 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 just we just want you to kind of uh, dip your toe in with, with this one. I can't wait to read it. Perfect. I wish we had had time to talk about how you've watched Young Girls of Rocha for seven times. Um, I, can, I can tell you why very quickly. Yes, because yes. I, ha- I had, to, I, d- I did the, I did a commentary on the Blu-ray, <gasps> so I had to, I had to <laughs> oh, plug that, David. Plug that. Yeah. Do you know what I watched? I actually watched um, Jean Renoir's La Regla du Jeu seven times as well, if not more, oh. for for a commentary. But I didn't log them all. Mm. I thought it was, I just thought it was a bit like oh, nobody needs to see that. <laughs> <laughs> Our guest today was David Jenkins of Little White Lies, and you can find him on Letterboxd at Davy Jenkins. Thank you to our crew, as always. Production manager Sophie Shin, editorial producer Brian Formo, and Sam for the artwork. And thank you to Minica for our theme music. And of course, always to you for listening. Please consider leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts as it helps us keep this show going. And you can always drop us a line at podcast at letterboxd.com. We love mail. The Letterboxd Show is a Tape Deck production. This, this, this is a Tape Deck Podcast. Mm-hmm.